right. Um, we're just going to jump into all this stuff on the show. Okay. Uh, hello and welcome to Judgment Day, the film podcast that pits the films you're passionate about against Terminator 2. I'm your host, Michael Carroll. Our subject today is the films of Tony Scott and Denzel Washington, and my guest is returning champion Liam Billingham. Uh, Liam Billingham produces podcasts and lives in California. He used to work with me, but not anymore. Hi, Liam. How are you? I'm good. I just I had I was thinking about doing that for a while. Um, I'm well, Michael. How are how are uh, how are you? Good. Um, so it's funny. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I had a. Um, I treated a good myself. cry. I had, had a good. A good cry. I did have a good cry. I treated myself to a uh, non-judgment day, non-like movie that my three-year-old wants to watch movie alone. Um, I was. Uh, I don't know. My my like neutral movies these days are like kind of stupid action movies. Oh, like I feel you, brother. Where, yeah, it's just where my like head has been. Um, and, um, I watched Crimson Tide and I thought, yeah, this is a good movie. I really oh, like this film. And fucking then banger of a movie on, on, uh, and then a couple days before Christmas, he started texting me saying, we need to do a Tony Scott episode. And I'm like, well, I just watched one movie, so I guess I could do that. So here so we here's are. what happened. Here's yeah. what happened. We, we, we should say that maybe this is, um, extra information, but we, so we're probably talking about start. It's probably texting. good to start and say that we have children that were born a few weeks apart. Mm-hmm. So there could be some similarities. Uh, we don't have children together, by the way. We didn't <laughs> both have children uh, that belonged to both of us uh, in a few weeks apart. We had we each had separate children with our separate partners. <laughs> and um, they were born a few weeks apart. And so I would imagine in many ways our energy levels are similar. And yeah. our capacity for uh, the Criterion Channel um, is more limited than maybe it used to be. And so, yes, I think never been a subscriber, but yeah. Um, but you, you know what I mean? You're not, we're not like, Oh, I can't wait to watch, uh, stalker tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think back at, uh, over Thanksgiving break, I, I put on Crimson Tide because it was on Hulu in the wrong aspect ratio. I might add all of his movies are, are properly are improperly formatted on their various platforms. And I put on Crimson Tide and I was like, Holy shit. This movie is a fucking banger. And that resulted in me watching Crimson Tide, Pelham 123, Man on Fire, The Last Boy Scout. Um, I've watched like five or six Tony Scott movies in the past two months. They are yeah. incredibly calming right now for me. I don't know, despite the fact that they're super hyper kind of movies. But yeah, I'm just as a, I watched... Tell, one, Pelham one two three enemy of the state crimson tide yeah, I've enemy seen true state. romance fifteen times okay. last Boy Scout for the first time and then last night watched Man on Fire um, and man these movies just rule like every single one of them rules I have you know I mean there's things we can say there eh, about some of them but like you know I've probably seen enemy of the state ten times I used to watch it a lot um, yeah I've I, yeah I just kind of was like was was into it and i thought it would be interesting to compare kind of to talk about not only tony scott versus judgment day but in these movies specifically but also like what is distinct about tony scott's action movies especially the ones with denzel washington and the other one that i watched this year that we're not really talking about but i want to pour yeah, one we'll out for is for. unstoppable 
yeah. which I think is an amazing, amazing. I'd never seen it before, and I, I actually listened to Quentin Tarantino on the rewatchables because I'm a film bro. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a great, great, great movie. He's a huge fan of that movie. Oh, and really? obviously, okay. like, he, he worked with Tony Scott because he... Yeah, yeah, Tony he Scott. wrote True Romance and, yeah. yeah and Crimson uh, Tide. Uh, he, um, yeah, Unstoppable, I think, was really... I want to get back to what you're saying about how calming they are. And we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the movies individually, but th- this is actually pretty good. Um, Thank you. I know I'm, I do this for... <laughs> Unstoppable oh, is really the movie that uh, I uh, that I think convinced well that that sold me on tony scott i i've kind of come to him late uh, i i've never that's not true i um yeah well i i i grew up with crimson tide um and i it's funny i lumped a lot of these things into just like jerry bruckheimer films that's how i grew up mm-hmm. like seeing all these things as just like jerry bruckheimer is the he he's he this is like mc like proto mcu he's the he's the auteur and sometimes he gets this director called Michael Bay, and sometimes he gets this director, called, you know, you know, because I, I really like Crimson Tide. I really like The Rock. I made the pivot around Armageddon. Uh, I was 16 years old. I was like, I don't like these films. I don't like these films. I, I, I um, yeah, I, I just, I, I like action films. Um, but uh, there's just something about uh, the uh, erratic nature, the like, the, just like the, the, uh, I don't know, hyperactivity of it um, was was a turnoff for me. Um, and, and, and frankly, I went over a similar thing with talking about, um, in a recent episode, talking about, um, Blade Runner with, with Ridley Scott, with both of them. I, I don't mean this uh, so much as like an insult, but it's, they, they are commercial filmmakers. Like they are literally like people who grew out of like making commercials for products and that and I, still do well, and, still well, did and well, do still do. I mean, I think yeah. they make most of their money making like running scot free production yeah. company. But but like the, there's that touch, you know. There's the, there's that t- you know, like, like you watch the stuff and, and there's a, there's a nice w- they can do like a very nicely textured uh, film or a nicely textured shot or or like scene or something like that, and and they're very good at like both of them giving their actors their space and letting them sort of like um uh be very good versions of themselves um yeah but but but, but at the same time but but, uh it's funny i watching a lot of these tony scott films and we'll get to the in a little bit but there's very little that i kind of felt like what is who is he that is not this like corporate entity who is creating corporate media i i found a couple of threads but anyway what what is it about tony scott in particular that that like you find calming you know of course there are corporate guys making corporate product but the idea of corporate product maybe maybe this is naive but to me the idea of corporate product in this context is a lot less i don't feel like i'm watching a movie designed to make a sequel Whenever yeah, I watch a sure. Tony Scott yeah. movie. And so I feel that it's less soulless. I will also say that Crimson Tide, well, when it came out in 1995, felt like an action movie. Now it feels more like a chamber drama and it almost could be a play. And it feels mm-hmm. more, uh, I mean this seriously, It's maybe it's that I'm older and I didn't recognize this when I was younger. But it's sort of maybe one of the last movies that, and you might laugh at me when I say this, that Bruckheimer produced that felt like a movie that was a little bit about ideas and actual issues of like chain of command and responsibility and like war versus a kind of the position that Gene Hackman maintains, which is, you know, being sort of 
shoot first and ask questions later and the more thoughtful like there's actual ideas in the movie and there are real characters like yeah. real people in the movie and i think that also taking a we'll get to it but pelham has some of the i don't know if pelham is as thoughtful but pelham certainly feels like a movie rooted in reality to some extent and I think that what I find calming about these movies is that they're very easy to watch, which is like the first requirement. They don't require like a great deal of brain power, but what they do offer is like pretty good storytelling, pretty exciting action. Like obviously Tony Scott knows how to make a fucking movie. Good acting, which you pointed out. And also just like you feel like you're watching something enjoyable that doesn't feel... I don't feel cynical about these movies. Like, I like Liam Neeson action movies, but Liam Neeson is a franchise unto himself. Franchises didn't have the same feeling in the 90s and the, the even before, let's say, like, the pre-Iron Man uh, Marvel sure, age. Like, yeah. it just feels less cynical to me and more like, I don't feel like I'm watching a movie that's an advertisement for 20 more movies. Yeah. And well, also, right now, like... They're relaxing because they suspend my having to think about the real world, even though <laughs> I think I, we're not talking about it specifically, but Enemy of the State is incredibly prophetic. You yeah. watch it and you're like, holy shit. This movie well, was right about a lot of things. I, I watched it for the first time uh, two or three days ago in the morning. Like just what? Got up early. You'd never yeah. seen it before? No, uh, because because you know I think it was around that time of like uh, Armageddon. It was you know either a few months or a few, uh, before or a few months after, and I was just at that place where I was just like, uh, I'm you know uh, I'm, I'm mm. turned off by this, and and um, it would have been it, November two thousand. I'm sorry, ninety eight, and so it would have been the fall after the summer of Armageddon. Yeah, so I was absolutely like, uh, I liked know. Armageddon then, but I was probably not as progressively minded as you were I, at the I age don't of think 60. look let's let's credit I, it's not progressively minded i was i was a fucking snob but the, the part of it was like my friend's mom i remember just being like i was not expecting to cry watching that film and i was like that's a bruce willis action film you know just well I, I I'm, also, I'm getting mad at myself like i know. also think there's something like truly fetishistic about michael bay's obsession with American quote unquote heroism and patriotism being inherently tied to like the military, yeah, oil, cops, soldiers. You know, the only movie that he has that that I I think The Rock is a good movie, and I think there is a little bit of critique of the military in that movie. Whereas critiquing the military was in vogue. I mean, then right, right, exactly. Whereas I think Tony Scott's movies are highly suspicious of a lot of the American institutions that we all are expected to like. Right. Like Top Gun. <laughs> well, to- Top Gun's a good example. <laughs> Fuck. I forgot. But okay. Besides, but so he makes this Navy propaganda movie, right? Like yeah, that's what that, it was. That, it was it's actually a, it's a, a commercial naval. for the Navy. Yeah. But I think, I don't think Crimson Tide is a commercial for, uh, I guess also the Navy. Um, and I certainly think Man on Fire. Um, well, it's about, not, it's about Mexico City is very suspicious of cops and is very suspicious of the role of corruption and in institutionalized organizations right, compared let's... to space cops, which is what Marvel movies are, you know, yeah. not to like be to- too topical, but someone tweeted out a photo of these douchebags uh, from Wednesday with the civil war sweatshirts. And it might as well have been a Marvel logo. Oh yeah. The MAGA. Like, yeah. The, yeah. Just the so MAGA. people know this is, um, uh, we're recording on January eighth, so it's the it's the week that uh, all those bozos uh, stormed the Capitol. Bozos, um, 
yeah, bottom. those jabronis, so those 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 dinks. Um, let's let's just look. Dinks. Crimson Tide, nineteen ninety five. Don't say things you can't take back, Michael. <laughs> uh, so you dickweeds. Crimson Tide. Denzel is the number two on a nuclear submarine. There's a breakdown in communication. Russian separatists may or may not have launched nukes, and he clashes with the superior, played by Gene Hackman, on whether or not to retaliate. That's the film. You, you said it was like a chamber piece, and it's interesting because, it, it, yeah, it is sort of uh, – there's a, there's a control room, um, and you can't see what's happening. And, right. uh, you know, whether choosing whether or not to act and um, uh, whether to act with aggression or whether – whether to stand by for communication because Denzel is actively trying to get like communication back up. Yeah. It's like a solid two hours. Um, Maybe less. It, I'm actually looking at the New York times review. Mm-hmm. I think it's like hour 45, right? Whatever it is. It's, 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 it's it, you know, it, they don't cut a lot of corners with like, there's two, not a three. lot. Yeah. There's, it jumps into the, it does feel like an action film. It, it right. surprisingly does feel like, like, like there's a lot of testosterone and, energy in, in a good way it's it's men yelling at each other in close-up is that what and you think really an action fun. movie is no but i think that that's um i think there's a type of like glenn gary glenn ross is not an action movie but like it definitely is a movie with more testosterone than like i don't know like your average uh, uh seagal film I would right say. i'm not saying it's fucking persona it's just that in comparison to what we have for action movies now it feels more thoughtful and less chamber drama. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like a little more of like a of a smaller kind of package than that I remember it being. I also think that this movie plays better and more like 20 years later it's like wow, this feels like a smaller, quieter, more intimate movie than it did when it came out. I I thought about Obama a lot watching this. It, really? Yeah, I mean there is um a black man who is in a position of power that is uh, being undermined. It's, uh, especially in the third act, there is almost like a psychotic respect for the chain of command. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and especially in the, like, the denouement at the end, the um, epilogue where it's like, well, you guys are both right. And they have a, it, it's the weirdest thing. You know, Hackman, um, the film climaxes while they're waiting for the transmission um, Hackman is kind of trying to like intimidate Denzel and he's, he's trying to play this like mind game stuff with like a, this monologue about horses and it gets, yes. it, there, there's like some racist undertones. To no, it. it is definitely very racist. And, 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 and yet it ends on a note of, well, look, tempers flared up, <laughs> you know, like right. all this shit, like it maybe didn't remind me of Obama, but it reminded me of the Obama era and and the Trump era. Like all this shit flared up, and then like at the end, it, like you know, it definitely it feels like a a, a liberal film in, in that's like, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll, we're gonna see some ugliness, but at the end of the day, there's mutual respect. At the end of the day, these guys aren't like crazy. Well, I, I think at the end that... of the day, Gene Hackman will resign. You know, oh, boy. But I do think that um, the racial element of it is hard to ignore from the beginning of the movie or or more particularly when he first sits down in he at hackman's office for his sort of like job interview to be you know yeah. uh whatever there's there's sort of a reference to the horses at that point I, I feel like there's racial tension throughout the movie 
but it's it it obviously is more particular in their sort of scenes together. I mean, you know, to sort of take a step back and think about it from a, a movie perspective, the best thing that happened to some of these, the reason that some of these movies are so good is because of their casts. Yeah. And, um, they are like Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman is just such a good actor. I mean, he's so good in this and he's so good at in, um, enemy of the state. Yeah. And also enemy of the state. I don't, I didn't know the conversation as well of a, as a movie when I was, a younger person, but now it's such a clear. Oh, it's yeah. It was so funny. Sequel. Like, cause I, I rewatched it this summer. Uh, and, um, so, and then I watched enemy of the state for the first time. And yeah, like there's literally like pictures of Gene Hackman from like the seventies. And it's like, it's just a, a it's, it's a perfect, a, it's a, perfect, it's a still um, of him from the conversation. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. And I also think it's a, um, I think that the conversation is a borderline, like perfect movie. I think it's really, really amazing. And I think that Crimson Tide is like the perfect sort of adult drama that does not get made enough anymore. Because I don't feel like at any point it, it insults anyone's intelligence watching the movie. And I will say that it's one of the best deployments of Quentin Tarantino as screenwriter. Oh. Because of the Silver Surfer stuff. Yeah. Did he do anything sort besides the, the Silver Surfer stuff? Yeah, there's one other thing that he did that I that I can't remember. But he's but, you can feel when that, watching that he movie, added to the script because I, I yeah. thought I'd heard at one point that all he had done was he added the Silver Surfer stuff. Here's what bothers me about this. Well, first off, let me ask you, uh, uh, Jack Kirby or, or Mobius? I I would I'm not equipped to answer that question because I never really got into Silver Surfer. I mean, the it's it's sort of I, I mean it's hard for me to like cast judgment on something this when i do a podcast where i ask people to compare movies to terminator 2 but jack kirby had wait a you full, do is that what we're doing that, that, yeah. jack kirby had like a full like decades long relationship with the silver surfer and mobius only did one book what what's what bothers me about about that setup is that that like jock that jock douche uh, would obviously have been on the Jack Kirby side, not the Mobius side. Like the little dinky guy who signs uh, uh, with Denzel, he would have definitely been like a hipster Mobius guy. So that didn't really read. But neither I mean, the Jack guy. Very, been that's a either. very specific. That's a criticism of a of a nerd boy, though. I mean, like I get your point, <laughs> but it's almost like but what I like the- about it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. is go it ahead. peppers? I mean, no one is no one's like, uh, excuse me, sir. But like, it peppers the movie with a little bit more. I don't know. Movies now are you would that exchange would never happen. I don't mean to keep doing this, but like you, I just don't see a scene where Iron Man and Captain America. Well, obviously, but they're not going to. It gives the movie what about a little bit more. Every time Spider Man's in a scene with Iron Man, it's uh, some sort of pop culture reference, though. That's like, true, but it doesn't. It again, those movies all feel so tightly constructed and hewn to be something bigger than themselves that, like, you just never yeah. get the pure joy of just like feeling like you're watching human beings interact. I also think that a big part of the success is that one of the great things about watching these Denzel, I mean, these Tony Scott movies is you're watching Denzel Washington. And like, I used to not like him that much as an actor. And I completely reversed that tone. I think, I think, I just think, I mean, and this is obvious, but I don't know why I didn't like him as much. I think maybe because he's so celebrated that I was a little bit like, eh, how can you be that good? But then you watch him in some of these movies where he and he does so many kind of like now especially but like so much of his career is doing these kind of like genre action thriller movies and he he elevates everything that he's in like he has a new one coming out at the end of the month and I'm like sign me the fuck up because I love watching Denzel Washington 
like do genre stuff and he's just so good in this movie well you know on that note let's let's just jump into man on fire for a little bit here so just to, unless there's is there anything else you wanted to add on crimson we can um, circle back to it i really like the jason robards cameo at the end of the movie and i like how jason robards shows up at the beginning of enemy of the state for like oh, that's very good i didn't a couple minutes um, Man on Fire, 2004. Denzel is a washed-up CIA Marine operator who lowers himself to taking on the role of a bodyguard to a 12-year-old Dakota Fanning in Mexico City. After befriending the girl, she's kidnapped, and he goes on a rampage through the underworld to save her. Um, yeah, this this was – we were kind of debating because we knew we wanted to talk about Pelham. We knew we wanted to talk about Crimson Tide. And, you know, it's – I had remembered Man on Fire mm-hmm. – uh, as being the film that uh, I, I thought it was critically acclaimed. This was the one where it was like, oh, Denzel Denzel does an action film that's also thoughtful. And it does try and do that. But A, it, it, I don't think it was very critically acclaimed. It was a no. shit. I didn't like this film very much. <laughs> oh, really? I know I'm, 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 I know I'm, uh, 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 oh boy, go ahead. Uh, so, so. So talk about your relationship to Man on Fire. Well, I actually, so I saw, I watched it again last night or the yes. past two nights. I turned off the um, watching, you know, the insurrection to turn on Man on Fire. I was like, <laughs> oh, I need to relax. Yeah. Um, I The last time I saw this film was in 2005. And I remember this very distinctly. In 2005, I got laryngitis. And was not put on antibiotics by the college uh, medical center that I went to. And I got pneumonia. And it knocked me. I was not a very healthy person. And it knocked me on my fucking ass for a month. I had to leave school, whatever. But I remember on my way home, because I'm a piece of shit stopping at the video store with pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And I rented Man on Fire. And I think I hated it. Because I think I was in at age uh 21 or 22 probably 22 what you were at 16 yeah yeah Fuck yeah this stuff Fuck yeah it. yeah and i uh, rewatched it the past few nights i think the first hour of it is my favorite part of the movie when it started and i was like this thing is two and a half hours long are you kidding me yeah but the first hour is really good um i think he's incredible in it denzel i think rada mitchell's really good as the mom everyone's in it i think it's a good movie um but i also think it's actually a really dark movie and a and a, and a somewhat painful a kind of a hard movie to watch like yeah. it's not it, so 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 this is i mean this is the point where it's like two white guys talking about like the the uh kidnapping uh you know the political kidnapping situation in mexico city like you know right like, strap in well, it's not even, I mean, it's that, but it's also just like the way he kills these guys is so bleak. And the fact that he, you know, Mark, Mark Anthony, who plays the dad, commits suicide, which <laughs> Dakota Fanning's been through like a month of hell. And I like that, like she, the mom she comes out of it and driving yeah. away and she's like, no, honey, I just have to tell you real yeah. quick that your yeah. dad. Yeah. Don't look at your best friend, Denzel. <laughs> but yeah. Your dad. Um, well, honey, he owed some money because your grandfather was a piece of shit. And... Uh, like it's just it's just very funny to me that 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 that's sort of the ending. But yeah, the movie is just like I don't know. It's a it's a hard it's a hard hang. It's a good movie. Um, yeah, back, backing but up it just is a, a second, hard hang. You, you do. It, 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 I think this is the most Denzel of these films that we're talking about, and I that's I say that because you you do kind of get two 
distinct Denzels here. Uh, you you get the like remember the Titans Denzel at the beginning. You mm-hmm. get like the like beleaguered like you, the first time you see him, he hasn't he needs a shave. He looks like shit. You know, like, you know he's, a, an, a, he's supposed to be an but, alcoholic, but, but he's a pretty fit alcoholic. Yeah, and he and, and his and his his like scraggly beard just like it just looks fantastic. The the whole first half is him befriending this twelve year old girl. It's a very unlikely friendship and he coaches her on swimming and he kind of becomes a weird like a uh, family uh member a father figure surrogate in a lot of ways uh and um she gets to ask him stuff like what's it like being a black man in uh mexico city and uh he weirdly they don't talk about her being white in mexico um that would have been a, a richer thing, anyway. And or then, the white, or having the whitest mother in the universe. Yeah, yeah. And then they, an Australian woman playing a Southern woman. Yeah, who moves to Mexico with her. <laughs> yeah, and, and still manages to be pale as fuck. Um, so then, yeah, and then then she gets kidnapped a, a, an hour in, and then the tone. Well, it start. It has a very garish, uh, ugly opening credit sequence. Like like um, it, this is mm. really when Tony Scott like uh, turns me off the most. Like. Uh, so I last night I watched the first uh, forty-five minutes of Revenge with Kevin Costner. Have you seen that? That's one? a Mark Pagan favorite. Oh, really? I, yeah, I would, I've never seen it. I was sorry, Mark. Friend, shout out to friend of the show. I, I, I mean, I, I, I only got forty-five minutes, and it's Kevin Costner's having an affair with. Um, he's best friends with a drug dealer in Mexico City. Uh, or in, somewhere in Mexico, and um, his wife is Madeline Stowe, and they have uh, an affair. That's the direction the movie was going into. Oh, uh, Madeline Stowe with like a Mexican accent, like it speaks for interesting. Itself. Um, but that was definitely like you could sell. Tony Scott was like um, deferring to. There's a lot of Kevin Costner energy in the movie. Like it Ugh, just, it just gross. It's, it's waspy. It's Whenever a waspy, I get a chance. I like to talk about how my my late father, who had a lot of opinions, would whenever he would become a film critic, then there yeah. was really only two to three times where he'd become a film critic. Yeah. And one was every time I watched Rambo and he would just rail against Richard Crenna as an actor. Yeah. When I would watch, uh, he couldn't watch Chuck Norris movies. I remember renting sidekicks and him being like, how dare you do this to me? And I was like, let's just see how it is. And, and after the first scene, he was like, I can't. And he walked out of the room. And the third was... <laughs> Uh, he just was like, "This is garbage." And the third, he said that to like an eleven-year-old boy who just wanted to watch a kung fu movie. Yeah, um, or a well, the, your, movie. Kung, your kung fu movie was sidekick. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, as a as a like eleven-year-old boy renting movies in a suburban video store, it was more a karate yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. I think I was on a karate kid kick. And the third person he would rail against Kevin Costner. Like, oh, he hated Kevin Costner. Yeah, they thought he was the worst actor. Yeah. Let's let's put that in the box for another day because that that could. I could go down the road on I that. I really want to watch that Three Days to Kill movie he's in on Netflix because I'm really curious about Kevin just, Costner he, doing like late career uh, action movies. Yeah, he is fascinating because he, yeah, he like I say, he, he, he has just like this boring wasp energy he puts him, that like yes. he injects into otherwise exciting films. So it's actually kind of fascinating. Anyway, so, 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 but Man on Fire, the thing, the, what I was getting to was, what bothers me about Scott here is he's doing the thing where he is kind of invoking something interesting, but I don't, because he is a, a commercial filmmaker and I, I do think, you know, he, I do see him as the director of Top Gun and stuff like this. I do see him as uh, totally you know, fair. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if he's 
depicting this with any sort of authenticity. I have to infer that he is embellishing for like action purposes, you know, like to, I mean, because the, the Mexico in revenge and the Mexico in man on fire is just like beautiful, rich people uh, under siege, you know, just like mm-hmm. just mercilessly under siege. Denzel comes in and it's, it's 2004. So there's obviously like a lot of like, you know, torture, torture is okay if you're really pissed off if you got a really good reason yeah. you know like that energy interesting is, yeah is as uh you, were you were you not feeling that uh when you were watching it last night feeling what the the like bush era like torture is okay like kind of thing because that's you know, basically the last the second half i i mean i don't think i was I certainly wasn't into it. I think those scenes are effectively staged. I think the most effectively staged one is actually the one in the car when he's cutting the guy's fingers off. Like, I think that that first one, you're like, cool, cool, I'm into that. Like, that's at least interesting to watch, and it's tense. Um, I would never say that the movie does anything but lets you think that Denzel is justified in his behavior. The movie never questions his actions. You know what I mean? Like, there isn't a, a question of, like, this having a human toll, and I think that that weakens the movie. I also do think you're what I describe the movie as torture propaganda, not necessarily because it, it's, it's just not as thoughtful as all that. Maybe that, maybe that doesn't justify that opinion, but I don't know. It doesn't read to me as like, it's not like a zero dark 30, which again, I think is a hugely effective movie, but is very, very problematic. Right. Um, like it's hard not for me to not applaud how well of a, a well of a made that how well made that movie is, but while also still being like pretty suspicious of, of its intentions and what Talking about man say. on fire or, or zero dark. Well, both. I mean, really mm. in this case, zero dark 30, cause mm. zero dark 30 actually deals with yeah. real life issues around torture. Well, um, but yeah. it's, it's like an, I mean, when I saw that movie, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, I can't believe how well made this is, but I was also pretty horrified by it, you know? Um, I didn't feel that, but I don't think I was looking for it. I don't think you're wrong. I will say that I re this is what I would describe as one of Tony Scott's like uglier movies, not uglier in the sense that like it's ugly to look at because his movies are always very interesting to look at, but that the things that it deals with are ugly and, and, and it, uh, you know, it ended, it, it, it curiously ends with like, uh, with these real world devices, like the idea that like we see his birth date and, and death date and, yeah. My Emily was my wife. Emily the was Oscar bait ending. She was like, "Is she? Uh, is this a true story?" I was like, "I don't think so." But then at the end, there's a final title card that's like dedicated to Mexico <laughs> City, a really special place. Yeah. And she was like, "Isn't it weird to dedicate a movie that portrays the city and what I think is a pretty negative light at light to end it with like a dedicated?" And I don't know. I didn't feel like. Did you feel like the portrayal of Mexico City was really a problem in the movie? Because the movie that I think about is having this like a movie that I, that a director that I like is I really like Steven Soderbergh, but traffic's portrayal of Mexico with the like bleached out color Kodachrome processing on it is like really been influential on the way that Central American, South American countries have been portrayed in movies for 25 years. And it always makes them look gross and like bad places that like you don't want to go. This one doesn't, this one shows deplorable actions, but it doesn't. It, kind of, it goes yeah. back and forth. Like I said, like right. it, it, it has an opening cred sequence that looks that's like from like a Blumhouse horror film, and then and then and then it has a very tender Denzel Washington movie for an hour. You know, like uh, which is sp- I think the best part of it and very touching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So like I said, it's, um, it's, it's just weird. It's like it's like Denzel at that stage in his career, he was trying to figure out what he was going to do, and Tony Scott was trying to figure out. Like there, there's they both stylistically kind of converged onto some interesting uh, planes in this film. I just don't. Uh, yeah, it's not it's a pleasurable not film to watch. First hour is great. Uh, quite quick digression away yeah. from it is this weekend I watched Last Action. I'm sorry, Last Action. I watched Last Action Hero. No, I watched Last Boy Scout. I like Last Action yeah. Hero. I think it's a great movie actually. But Last Boy Scout. Have you seen Last Boy Scout? Many years. High school. I watched it. Okay, so I would be curious to see if you rewatch it. It is a movie that is both a joy to watch. Um, it has like Bruce Willis is great in it. It's it is Tony Scott's like film noir. In many ways, it feels at times like uh, before it butchers itself in the final forty five minutes, an attempt for him to make a little bit of like a a Chinatown movie. Like it's set in L A. There are questions of power and who wields power and what's going on. Um, and then it kind of just becomes prob not great in the final like yeah I said forty five minutes. But it's also so misogynistic that at times it is really, really hard to watch. I What I like about it is that I like enjoyed watching it, but the whole time I, you're just like, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, I sort of, in, I find that gross, but I also don't, I also still find the movie enjoyable to watch. And so there's this weird tension between like watching it and being like, this is gross, but I'm into, I'm enjoying the movie and trying to ignore like, or deal with the grosser elements of the movie or the things that you know in terms of politics or whatever you don't agree with um but i also appreciate that like in this movie like the cops aren't the heroes it's like a alcoholic private detective and like a washed out football player and like there's there's none of the institutions that that they that they come into contact with function and it's very clear that everyone's corrupt like there's there's really something great about that movie but it's also in a 1991 way, like, ugh. And it has an all-time banger of an opening sequence. Yeah, the, that if is... the whole movie were as good as the opening... One of the a, most amazing... Yeah, just... Uh, it's amazing. And I remembered it having not seen the movie almost. in a long, long time. There's a lot about it that's really great, and I do think it's probably one of Tony Scott's more interesting movies. So so before we move off of Man on Fire, um, there is one other kind of note that I wanted to share about this. And this was something that about Scott that I, I picked up because ever since you've been for the last two weeks um, in preparation for this, I've uh, been watching it uh, as much. Yeah, I did way more prep for your podcast than I do for my own. I watched <laughs> I like six movies. For but some, also, we were just vibing on. <laughs> I think the other thing that's true in this case is mm. that these are a lot more enjoyable to watch than some of the movies I watch on my podcast. As much as I love Akira Kurosawa, yeah, yeah. it's exhausting to watch black and white foreign films that are three hours long uh, all the time. So to one recurring theme in Tony Scott's films was uh, control rooms. Um, Enemy of the oh, State. Love has, a control room. Yeah, Enemy of the State, Deja Vu, I, which I had seen, which I saw, had never seen Oh, before. I watched Deja Vu too. Deja yep. Vu is really good for the first hour and a half. I, really I actually, good. I actually liked it the whole way through. I, I think that, uh, well, uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, uh, and it was never on my radar. Um, like I, I was only vaguely aware that that film ever existed. It's a really but, clever movie. Yeah. Uh, Taking of Pelham has a control room. Uh, Crimson Tide is interesting because it has, it has a very limited control room. Unstoppable has a control room. Man on Fire doesn't have a control room. Well, you know, it's interesting to, to bring it back to the Obama era because there's something to me very soothing about a control room in an action movie. Yeah. Like Air Force One, which I rewatched this year. I watched rewatched a lot of movies this year. I wonder why. And um, 
there's like there's the whole sequence where Glenn Close is with the chief of staffs and like trying to figure out what's going on with the president. And like the nineties were a really great era for like there's something going on and then there's a bunch of people watching it or paying attention to it happening somewhere else. And like Unstoppable does that. And that's sort of gone from movies too. Like, you know, no no Avengers movies are like is there like, you know, the team back at home being like what can we do? It's all action, action, action. And I think that sort of structure of action and then like decompression kind of helps the pacing of a lot of these movies, if that makes sense. Um, and it's interesting. The Rock has a control room. It, it, you don't see it that much, but there's the sort true. of command yeah. center. Um, I was I was shocked with Pelham how much the control room, uh, one of my notes, because that was like the first movie I'd watched since, you know, mindfully for this podcast. I was like, this control room is not like from the Cuomo era. There, there is no way that like yeah, it's they really advanced. Their yeah. screens are lit. Yeah, dude. I, I, like, I made a big note crazy. of it, and then I watched all these other films. Okay, sorry, you were going to say no. I uh, so I guess we'll talk about Pelham. I yeah. really like Pelham. I think it works the whole way through. I think it could be the last good John Travolta performance. So, we got. so the taking of Pelham one two three from oh, yes, two thousand and nine. Denzel is a New York City. Train dispatcher who is pressed into the role of negotiator after a John Travolta's criminal gang hijacks a subway car of passengers. It's a remake. It's a remake, I should say, of, of a, a nineteen of a 1998 uh, made for ABC movie. And just give me one second. I have this thing. 1976. No, you have you never seen this? Taking of Pelham, the uh, one with Walter Matthau. There's there's a one with Walter Matthau. I'm going to screen share this. This is 74. So- Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, with Edward James almost. Yeah. Is Gandolfini in it? Gandolfini's in Scots. No, it's Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Downey Wahlberg. I remember taking the cast D'Onofrio. in this movie yeah. is out of control. Yeah. Stylistically, I, that's my other note is that stylistically, this film has way more in common with uh, um, Scott's film than um, Walter Matthau's version. I remember that, that being like a big Sunday night event. The 98 one or whatever yeah. year it was. Which is, yeah, it, totally. it's pretty boring. I got it on a double DVD pack with Runaway Train because I wanted a copy of Runaway Train and it was like <laughs> cheaper to get that. I was like, oh yeah, with a, with a shitty remake of a movie. How dare you speak this way about Donnie Wahlberg. Um, yeah. yeah, I like this movie for a couple of reasons. I, I, liked... I really liked it actually. I actually really got into it watching it. Yeah, John Derville is really good. So this is, this is particular. I like that in his later movies with, after Man on Fire, they made two movies together. I think they made Pelham 1, 2, 3 and Unstoppable. Yeah. And I think Pelham and Unstoppable. Oh, they, I after, think, after Man on Fire, they made Deja Vu in 2006, Pelham in right. 2009. Deja Vu is very good. Really good. Um, mm. I, my weak, the weakness to me of that movie is Caviezel's character is just nothing. He's like a nothing sauce, which I think sucks. There's like a scene missing where we understand why he is who he is. Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. And Unstoppable, I like because they're Denzel Washington as ordinary guy in extraordinary circumstances kind of yeah. movies. And you don't get those he's brought to Earth. on this he's scale. It, well, in, in Pelham, he's, he's, he's as schlubby, schlubby as you've ever seen him, which is not right. is, he's, he, which is less schlubby than we are like right now. Totally. But, but well, speak for yourself. A little goes but, a long um, way, yeah. But I, what I like about it as a movie is that I think it's a sneakily pretty good, not as good as it could be, but pretty good New York City movie. I like the sort of casting of the command center being a lot of like, quote unquote, white ethnic dudes who like, you got Totoro, you got that other guy, like, and, and you got Denzel Washington. I like how it feels like the guys that you would see in those offices and they're dressed properly and they're not sleek and they're not cool. I think that that's like very smart and it feels almost like 
Tony Scott went out of his way to like choose really good character actors to make you feel like you're watching. I mean, mm-hmm. John Turturro is John Turturro, but John Turturro can disappear into a part like this and you're not too caught up in it. I think you forget that Denzel, it's crazy that five years after Man on Fire, this is Denzel Washington playing like, yeah, like a schlubby 47 year old guy, right? Yeah. It just feels like a movie with real stakes for real people. I think Travolta's great in it. I think Travolta as antagonist was a really underutilized part of his, because he's so good in this, he's so good in Face Off, and he's so good in Broken Arrow. Like anyone who's like, we got to make John Travolta the bad guy. I think made the right move. And I just think this is like a well-made movie. It's smart. It works stylistically. And it's much better than people made it out to be. And I do think it does a good job of making the command center stuff feel authentic. It, it, it's a, it, look, it's a fun movie. I, I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, it does have that problem where it is a remake of a, of a very good movie by a guy who actually had no business. Like, I can't remember his name. The guy who directed the 78. Uh, oh, um, what is his name? Let me look it up. That film, the the Walter Matthau film, it, it was 78, right? Joseph Sargent. Yeah, good Yeah, filmmaker. I mean, the guy, the guy was just a TV, you know, uh, journeyman. And um, he, you know, just kind of lucked into this great film. And that's a film that feels like everyone, that film feels a lot more it has a better New York vibe for me. That's a film that works because it is about like a bunch of New Yorkers who are all, and and actually the book it's based on kind of does a similar thing. Everybody has their own story and they're going through life. And this is just a collective thing that is, uh, it's almost like a collective thread going through all these different um, narratives, even Walter Matthau to a certain degree, like, you know, he, he's not as, at the forefront of the film, like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. if you think about, you know, like, but there's just so many more like distinct characters, so many distinct lines of, and, and they're all like lines of just like, people's like fucking asshole, get the fuck off my train. You know, like uh, just mm-hmm. like all this great, like guys with like, just like red faced and like no necks yelling at each other and like flailing <laughs> their arms around. Like that's a New York movie. This one, um, you know, it, uh, what, what struck me wrong about this film was how functional the city seemed. Um, you know, the, um, yes. Gandolfini's able to get like 10, $10 million or whatever it is, like, um, pretty frictionlessly in, in what is it now or, um, but how about a movie where James Gandolfini plays the mayor? Like I'm a hundred percent. That was that. fun. It's great. It was a really fun Hollywood film. It, it, yes. it, 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 like everybody who's there is like, Oh, there's John Turturro. Oh, there's, you know, Gandolfini. I mean, part of the, pleasure of the original is that there's like Matthau and then there's like um, Jerry Stiller and there's like you know just you, you don't really know who everyone Jerry else Stiller, is that's but, right. but you know their faces and you uh, for me they're like you know there's just like so many like just throw away like lines and beats and everything so so this felt like it worked more like a Hollywood film works and and for a Hollywood film it, it's very good it just doesn't uh, you know just I think people I think it, it just it does pale in comparison to the first one Again, if you think of it as a remake of the 1998 film, it's it's definitely a step up from that. Yeah, I guess I just didn't think of that. And I think like I just feel like part of the thing that's been so appealing to me is I don't because we're not as inundated by this stuff or we're inundated by so much more like franchisey material now that these movies feel like classics to me even if they're not that great. Like I feel like I'm watching, you know what I mean? Like I feel like no, no, I'm watching yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's also the sentimental attachment to like 
They're easy to watch and they're enjoyable and they only take an evening as opposed to watching a 10 episode. Like yeah. I'm not super into, I love action movies, but I'm not super in there's, and there's starting to be like some action series like gangs of London and these things that I'm interested in. But then I'm like, can I really watch a 10 hour action movie? I don't think I can. I want to watch like a two hour action movie. And like, I even would say in some way, tonally man on fire is not an action movie because it's so garish and intense that you're kind of like, this isn't fun to watch. Um, Pleasure Quick recommendation. Is, pleasure, pleasure is pleasure is an important part of of like processing films, and I think sometimes you get into your own head. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Um, quick recommendation: The Incident, yeah. uh, which is a movie um, that I saw at Film Forum in New York City, mm-hmm. which I hope survives this fuck fucking shit Knock show. On wood. And um, they did they do they used to do they did this series. I don't know if they do it regularly, but they did this series like a New York series, and they were showing like New York films, and they played a film called The Incident from 1967. The Incident is a, an American neo-noir thriller film um, based on the teleplay Ride with Terror about uh, two, street woods, two street hoods who terrorize 14 passengers sharing a New York City subway car. Listen to the cast, among others. Tony Masante, Martin Sheen, Bo Bridges, Ruby D, Jack Guilford, Ed McMahon... <laughs> Guy Merrill, Donna Mills, Brock Peters, Thelma Ritter, and Jan Sterling. It is 67. It's a great movie. Part of why it's a great movie, and I Pelham doesn't have this issue because it's a stalled train, but this movie begins in the Bronx and, as if I recall, ends at either either 42nd but i believe it spends some time at 86th street and it if you live in if you've lived in new york you have it's a snobby thing but like paying attention to the movie the city's geography is i think very very important to making the movies work like i don't know if you've ever seen run all night the liam neeson movie i really like run all night yeah (laughs) always (laughs) it's always on um you're doing a minute 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 by minute dissection dissection no no i mean i had it on the background like i was i i I watched it air quotes it's good i i saw it in the movie theater with my buddy and we were the only two people in the movie theater and it ruled um but that movie has a sequence where a character like gets on like gets on the gets on the bqe and like queens and the next shot he's in coney island and you're i mean just instantly again it's a very local thing but you're like eh, i really wish they just like ignored the actual i mean they paid attention to the actual physical complexity of living and going anywhere in new york city at any given time like it just feels unrealistic and i think this movie's not great about that especially when they're moving the money from the brooklyn brooklyn terminal which bank which does not exist to wherever it's going like everything takes it takes like 45 minutes. You're like, you kidding me? They'd be in traffic for five hours. Well, uh, on that note, I let, let me actually say, um, so I, I had an ax to grind with this film again. Uh, maybe I'll cut this. because you thought you were going to get cast in Luis Guzman's part. No, I, like, because, because I was at the time of its shooting, I was working in Columbus circle. I, um, uh, would get, I would take the a train down, let me try and tell the story in a way that's Is this 2008? interesting. Uh, Is 2000, this 2008? Yeah, 2008. I'm... Oh, Mike, if you want to be interesting, it's too late. We're an hour into this thing. <laughs> it's, so, it's, uh, so I'm taking the train down. Normally what happens is... Times Square is the first stop on my way to Hoyt Skimmerhorn, which is where I would get off. Um, they had made J Street, Metro Tech, 42nd Street. 
I get on the train. I fall asleep because I was just overworked. And um, I wake up and I see, oh, it's 42nd Street. Um, I, <gasps> I can just stay on. I, I, I thought I that's so strange. I feel like I have been on this for a lot longer. I have. I got off the train. I realized that they had changed the whole station for that fucking movie. So I, I was holding on to that axe. I was, I was grinding that axe on this. Wow, that's such a specific story. <laughs> yes. Um, hey, look, we were talking about um, we were talking about the pleasures of watching films. Uh, let's uh, we in my inaugural episode, we shared some thoughts on Terminator 2. Do you have any fresh thoughts on Terminator 2? You know, I was going to rewatch it this week and I didn't get a chance because okay. um, I had to go to D.C. for a thing. <laughs> and um... You keep joking about that. Anyway, um, let, let, let's just. Um, you, but I didn't get a films? chance to rewatch it, but it rocks. I, yeah. You know, I was thinking actually that that movie, um, uh, rewatching a lot of these Tony Scott movies, there, a lot of them are burned into my brain. Like Crimson Tide has a lot of stuff that's really burned into my brain. And uh, not Man on Fire does not, and take, um, Taking of Pelham don't. But there's so much of um, Ter- Terminator 2 that I can't quite put my finger on, but I think about a lot. Like the sequence where... The term with the T one T what the T one thousand the T one thousand kills Xander Berkeley when he's drinking the milk and there's all the like that sequence is burned into my brain like it's just a movie that's like it doesn't ever go away interesting how Terminator two and Man on Fire are somewhat both about reluctant fathers in a weird way they both deal with fatherhood in the way that like the Terminator kind of they have, takes both on have this precocious role of John kids Connors. who do a lot of like the like emotional heavy lifting for like right a, yeah it's a, just at least weird... one actor who couldn't emote that and one actor who like you leave the Denzel world. Washington alone <laughs> That's not what I mean um, another actor who can emote the world with just like the smallest sticks anyway yeah. I just I, I like Terminator 2 but I also think that it might be the and it's a great movie but I think that like maybe we should have like left our balls to the wall franchise filmmaking and i enjoy marvel movies don't get me wrong but like i'm pretty sick of all of it and you know terminator 2 is a great movie but sort of the beginning of the like franchise building it's unfortunate that no terminator movie has been good since terminator 2 though you know what i can't really say that because i haven't seen anything past this one yeah i haven't seen rise of the machines yeah i haven't seen that might not even be a real name oh yeah rise of the machines the third one and then there's Genesis. There's Dark. Is Dark Fate good? I don't. I haven't seen it. No. Wow. You uh, haven't seen Dark. You know it's on Hulu I see, or I did see. I did Prime see Dark or something. Fate. Yeah, Dark Fate's fine. It, it does. Okay. Dark... Oh, by the way, the incident. The incident is on Hulu. Oh, great. The Dark Fate is the sort of film that like um, is why I shouldn't be allowed to make movies because they made decisions where I'm like I could see why they would do that. I would probably have done that. That that I'm sure that sounded clever on paper. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but I would say that. Uh, yeah, Terminator Two rocks. Well, I, I should rewatch it. I haven't seen it well over a decade. Well, let me let me take years. this opportunity to um, tune in in two weeks because I'll have a very Terminator Two centric episode that I'm very excited to record. You I'll got see. James Cameron to be on the podcast? <laughs> Maybe I didn't. Liam, are any of these films better than Terminator Two? Yes, uh, one is better than Terminator that is, Two. That is uh, uh, Crimson Tide. The incident from nineteen. 19- no, uh, crimson, crimson. I think Crimson Tide is just a is, you know, this better or worse, whatever. At this point it, in my it's, life, it's made a deeper impact on you. It's made a deeper impact, and I, I That's just cool. appreciate that Crimson Tide is a more thoughtful movie than I remember it being. I also just think the performances are great, and I think where I am now, I would just rather watch two great actors yell at each other, go head to head. 
the, all, the, you know, we really quick. The moment in Gene in, when Gene Hackman, I forget what he says, but he's like, "I made a decision." So shut the fuck up. Like it's such a good build to that point. And like, imagine if ben, having been on set when they had their like tete a tetes. Like it just must have been like a cool, cool thing to be a part of. I mean, for me right now, yeah, Crimson Tide is 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 about my favorite action movie of all time cool. at this exact moment. But I don't think that that will hold. I mean, uh. You know, there's a lot of action movies I really love. I really love Ronin. That's an action movie I can just watch again and again. And I also these are think... all like three in the afternoon Sunday Sunday oh, afternoon yeah, movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Crimson Tide for me. The other two, Pelham is really good. I think you know, weirdly, the weakest one for me is Man on Fire because it's yeah. the one that's trying the hardest. Yeah, people. Uh, Tony Scott heads really seem to like it on Letterbox. Like, they're, like the it's it's pretty divisive. Like, I think a lot of people get turned off on it but the people i think there, there's a there's a certain type of tony scott fan that that everything that they want is is variations on that so um well, I, i'm interested whole... in that and i was actually kind of hoping that you would be one of those guys so you could explain it to me but uh, i i, I thought it. i would be actually yeah. when i started the movie i still think it's a good movie i think we didn't talk about how great christopher walken is and how shitty all of the dudes in the movie are except for i was Denzel so Washington. pissed off that uh, uh mickey rourke got his head cut off like uh, yeah i wanted more from i did remember having not seen the movie in you know 15 years I was like, ooh, Mickey Rourke's the bad guy, right? He's barely in the movie, yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, you, the one thing that was interesting was seeing, like, there's one shot where you see his ear, and you can just see, like, oh, yeah, he had, like, all these earrings just taken off for this one shot and then, like, quickly put back on. Was his this body was before just, the wrestler? It after, must have been. Uh, before to, the wrestler. Yeah, the wrestler was Because I saw the wrestler in New York, so it yeah. had to have. And when this came out, I was in rural New Hampshire. All right, well, well this was fun. Um, Liam, Are any for of coming. these movies better better than Terminator 2 for you? No, not for me. Um, uh, again, you know, bullshit. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think, uh, similarly, like, look, they're all pleasurable. They're all fun. Even man on fire, which turned me off in a lot of ways. It was, it goes down easy in the ways that really enjoyable, um, movie. Yeah. Um, I would love to, we won't do it now, but dig in on the politics of some of these movies, because I think that Tony Scott's politics get better and better uh the last few movies well particularly i think pelham but more sorry not pelham pelham's okay unstoppable has the most sort of like that's that's the one that really actually blew me away this year i was like holy because i think i think the second hour of that movie is very good i think the first 45 minutes of unstoppable are about perfect like perfect action movie set up uh, I think Chris Pine is great in it. I think yeah. it's. I just think it's a banger of a movie. Yeah, it just accelerates the whole time. Um, yeah, it's really good. Thanks for coming, Liam. Hasta la vista. <laughs> I just. You didn't get, give me a chance to promote anything. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll loop that in. Liam, what do you got coming up? Nothing, Mike. Fuck you. No. Um. <laughs> wow. Hey, Liam. Um, tell me about your podcast, Uvra Busters. We haven't talked about that in a few episodes. Well, Michael, we are wrapping up our fourth season in the next two months. It's been a long one. It started in July. It's on the sixteen films starring Toshiro Mifune and directed by Akira Kurosawa. We've had some great guests. Um, it's all uh, available at uvrabusters.com. By the time this comes out, we will have released an episode on the Bad Sleep Well with Ingu Kang from uh, The Hollywood Reporter, who did who had a lot of really great thoughts on the film. And we're recording our episode on Yojimbo next week. And that's with... Because we haven't recorded with, I don't want to say who it is, but it is a person who uh, has worked on some of the most celebrated television shows of the past Ooh, exciting. 10 years. Um, 
and is working on a adaptation of a Kurosawa movie. Oh, that's cool as hell. Yeah, it's super cool. Thanks for coming, Liam. Hasta la vista.